Uh, I want to point somebody out before we get dive into the scriptures here. Um, so glad that uh, Austin Maynor is here. I'm going to single him out. I think he's all right with that. Um, yeah, he's got some fans here, Austin. That's, that's nice. Um, Austin is going to be preaching October 22nd, and I, so I want to go ahead and point him out to y'all. Um, one of the many wonderful things about Austin, and he's, there are a lot of them, is Austin is also Ben's caregiver, our son. Uh, and we are so blessed to have Austin in our home and, um, and just, uh, you know, he, he says it's a transfigurative process, uh, uh, experience for him too, to be around Ben. And we, we know what that's like, don't we? It's a transformative, pro- um, experience for all of us too. And so Austin is, um, Christ to Ben, Ben is Christ to Austin, and we will get to hear him preach October 22nd. So I just want to point that out. Thank you, Austin, for being here and um, being here October 22nd, too. Okay, so um, you can turn to John 5, or it's in the, in the liturgy, John 5, verses 30 through 38. We're continuing this series, The Red Letters of John, and we're focusing on the life and teachings of Jesus, the Christ. Remember, Christ is not his last name. That's a title. That's, that means Messiah, anointed one. And we're focusing on these red letters, meaning the, the words recorded that Jesus said. And we really want to see the way of Christ, how he lived, what he did, in addition to what he said, so that we might be conformed to the image of Christ as a people, as a body. The, the, the Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ. And so... Uh, we need to listen to the head in order to understand um, who we are. So um, John 5, verses 30 through 30 is where we are, and Jesus is still in this dialogue, if you will, with the religious establishment, the religious leaders of the day, uh, who, uh, because he healed a man on the Sabbath and broke, technically broke the religious law, they are trying now, they want to kill him. They are certainly persecuting him. And so Jesus is still, we've kind of slowed down here. He's giving his defense. And here he calls upon some witnesses to testify for him. So let's read this together. John 5, beginning verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Stop there for a second. He's entering into this man-made tradition. He's not saying that he's, his testimony wouldn't be true. In fact, he says the opposite, I think, in Matthew. He's just saying, even though he doesn't need others to testify for him, he, he enters into the system so that he might win his accusers. So he operates according to their system. So that's what he's saying here. Okay. Uh, Verse 33. You have sent messengers to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. There it is. He was the lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me. And the Father has sent me, 
that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified about me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. Also, you do not have his word abiding in you, because you do not believe him whom he sent. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I I pray now that, as I often uh, repeat, that no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter why we're here, my prayer is that we would experience healing. Healing maybe that we didn't even know we needed. Would you strategically, Holy Spirit, apply the good news of the gospel exactly where we need it in our hearts as well as our minds and bodies? Would you transform us even now? In Jesus' name, amen. So, verses 37 and 38, little nod, little wink to Moses, actually. And we'll look at that more next Sunday. Um, this is actually part one. Uh, and, but that's what's going on there. Well, I'll talk more about that next Sunday. Um, he's referencing something in particular, particularly the time when Moses saw the form of God in the cleft of the rock, saw God's backside there. But we'll talk about that next Sunday. Um, right now, I want to talk about my dog, Morse. Um, you know, dog is God spelled backwards. Y'all know that, right? Um, so some, most of y'all know Morris. If you come to our house afterwards, you'll see Morris probably wreaking havoc. Uh, and um, he's got Napoleon syndrome. You know, he thinks he's, he's like a monster and he's this little bitty, you know, thing. Um, okay, imagine just for a minute, some of y'all can even picture Morris. Imagine if, and we, we're, we're kind of bad about this. We give our dog people food a lot. Um, imagine if I had a delicious steak, like hot off the grill, ribeye. I mean, Morse smells it and he immediately starts salivating, you know. And I, I put the steak like r- right there. I put it right there and Morse smells it, but he doesn't see it. And so he, he, he comes up to me and, and you know, he's just kind of like wagging his tail. And he's, he's, he's like so excited, you know. And, and I'm like, Morse, there's, there's the steak. Go get it. Go get it. And, and he just keeps looking at me. I'm like, no, Morse, it's, it's right there. And, and, and then, and then he, he notices my finger and he starts just focusing on my finger oblivious to the fact that there's a delicious ribeye steak like, like right over there and he's focused on my finger and he misses the whole thing my finger is witnessing the whole thing my finger is pointing to the thing he actually needs because he's focused on this okay what I just described to you isn't just Morris this what I just described is most of most Christians in the West most American Christians who no different than in Jesus's day with the religious people that he's talking to, who are focused and even worshiping the witness and completely overlooking what the witness is witnessing. We're going to see um, three, well, Jesus um, shows us three witnesses today, and I'm going to say the fourth, there's a fourth witness for next Sunday, John the Baptist, uh, and then his works, 
and then the Father. Um, and and you, God doesn't have a gender. God is not just solely described as either masculine or feminine. This is patriarchal language. is coming from a certain context. It's fine to call God mother, too. The reality is Genesis 1 and 2 shows us that both male and female image God. God is they, actually. Those are God's pronouns. But, um, so it's fine to think of God as a mother. Jesus is going to... And then the fourth witness is the scriptures. And we're going to devote all of next Sunday to that witness. Because particularly with the scriptures, uh, a lot of American Christians, well, they actually are worshiping the book... And are seemingly at times oblivious to what the book is pointing to. They're worshiping the witness rather than what the witness is witnessing. So we'll look at that next Sunday. Um, The main teaching today that we learned, though, we don't want to be like Morris, okay? We we don't want to focus on the finger. We want to focus on what the finger is pointing to, the stake. And so this is the main teaching today. Witness is important. But don't miss out on what the witness is witnessing. Witness is vital, even. But don't miss out on what the witness is pointing to. Okay. So um, here, Jesus, you kind of see his logic. I mean, he he gives us, we're going to look at the first three. He'll give us a fourth witness. But he gives us John the Baptist as a witness, a faithful witness to him. His works. God. And then scripture, the scriptures we'll look at next Sunday. Um, And at every point, unfortunately, Jesus shows us with these religious people, they uh, focus on the witness rather than what the witness is actually pointing to. First, let's see how they do this with John the Baptist. So you you heard the language there. Uh, John the baptizer is technically uh, the most accurate way to think of of this. John was this this, uh, dirty hippie. That lived out in the in the woods and would have loved Asheville, and we would have loved him. And he did had was practicing actually a, a Jewish ritual of cleansing in the Jordan River, and he had his detractors because people didn't understand him. He was kind of weird. But but Jesus points out, and actually in uh, earlier in John one nineteen, we're we're told that the religious ended up sort of liking him. They thought he was kind of cool, I guess, uh, and, and although wild, interesting. And so they, there, was some, there was some fanfare for John the Baptist. Uh, he was thought of as an important figure, a prophet-type figure. And so Jesus mentions him and says, you liked him, and for a while you, you rejoiced in his light. You rejoiced in John the Baptist, but, but his point is, but you were overlooking who John was pointing to, that being him, Jesus. John the Baptist, um, you may know, baptizes Jesus at one point. When Jesus shows up, he, he, he enters into that with and for us. And this is what John the Baptist says in John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, here's the finger, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you want your sin taken away, look to him. <laughs> not, not the finger, but what the finger is pointing to. And notice that sin is singular there. This is the Lamb of God. Here's the good news of the gospel. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. 
This is who Jesus is. This is who John's pointing at. And these religious people missed it. They're missing it, right? And so then Jesus moves to his works, his miraculous works. And we see time and time again in the Gospels, people understandably are wowed by these miraculous signs. In fact, Jesus gathers a large following for a while until things get dicey and he ends up dying a criminal's death and then everybody's gone. But for a while, they focused on these signs, and Jesus is constantly trying to say, you know, say, as we've already seen in in this, even in this dialogue, um, that, that you have to have a miraculous sign in order to believe. But the signs of these miracles are really just the finger pointing to the substance of what's really going on. All of life is a miracle, is the reality, right? But they were focused on the Again, the finger, the, the miraculous work, and totally overlooking what the sign was pointing to, what the witness was witnessing. And these are the works of Jesus, who amazingly is, seems to be egoless. This, this is God, the Son. And we see in verse 30, now he could have appealed to himself alone, right, as God, but he, he, he doesn't. And this is sort of an echo of Philippians 2. You know, he didn't think equality with God was something to hang on to, but he empties himself of that status, of that privilege, and comes in the form of a servant. And so he says, okay, I won't even go by my own testimony, but, but how about God the Father? And that's how they would have referred to him. How about Yahweh? How about the Lord? And so he says these works that he does are the works that he does because God the Father has given him, given them for Jesus to do. So what was the work the Father gave to Jesus? All of his miraculous healings and signs point to this one work, this all-encompassing work of salvation. All the signs are really meant to point to that reality. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. Jesus says, I didn't come to judge the world, but so the world might be saved through me. All the signs are pointing to that, and we're missing it. This is the work the Father gave to Jesus, the work of salvation. All of his other works point to that. And, and it's this, this salvific work where this is unlike any other world religion, um, where God offers God's self as food to eat to the world rather than requiring humans to offer themselves to God. It's amazing. This is the work of Jesus revealing the very nature and essence of God, God giving God's self to the world in order to heal the world. But if we, if we just focus on these cool signs, we'll miss what they're pointing to. These works, um, you know, the passage Becky read for the call to worship Jesus will in fact tell John the Baptist, will actually tell his, these messengers sent by him who come to him at one point. And John, who baptized Jesus, is beginning, later on you may know this, he's beginning to second guess whether or not this is actually the Christ. And so he sends these messengers because he, you know, Jesus isn't exactly who he thought he would be either. Um, as the great and last Old Testament prophet, that is John the Baptist, he's beginning to second guess if this Jesus is really the Messiah. And so he sends these messengers, and Jesus says, go tell John that the blind receive their sight, the lame 
receive, they are able to walk. The, the dead are raised. And in John 11, we'll see an example of that with Lazarus, right? Both like literally raised from the dead, someone. This is a sign that the king has come, that Christ has come, and the kingdom has come with him. And so he'll appeal to those works in that way too as kind of a testimony to who he is. And then lastly, he of course appeals to uh, to the Lord himself, to, to God the Father. Um, notice here how Jesus, and this is, we can, this is how we, we look to Jesus to understand ourselves and to model ourselves after him. Notice that Jesus turns to the opinion of God so that he might understand, in a sense, who he is. He, he appeals to the opinion and, and the authority, as it were, of God the Father so that he might understand who he is. And he's the son of God, the beloved and only son of God. And so we look at that, and I think we're meant to, like Jesus, you know, you think of his baptism. It's, it's beautiful. But two times, um, the, and, and only, the only, only other time uh, when there's the recording of the Father that's recorded in the Bible is at the transfiguration. And both times, the Father is saying the same thing, both at Jesus' baptism and the transfiguration. This is my Son, and I am proud of him. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Okay, if you want to know who you are, and if I want to know who I am, we should do likewise. Like Christ, we look at the loving gaze of the Father that is also for us. We don't disappear in Christ. Christ comes to reveal who we are in him, right? Beloved children of God. If, if God says that about you, um, well, then you can bank on that. In those dark moments of the day when, when we hear the voice of the accuser, whether inside or, or outside of us, remind yourself, look at the loving gaze of God like Jesus and say, no, 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 God the Father testifies that I am a beloved child of God with Christ, with my older brother. That's who I am. That's who you are. That's good to model after Christ here. Um, and this is how he appeals, lastly, to that ultimate testimony and ultimate wit- witness. Um, And so I want to look again at verses 37 through 38, because these witnesses, now this, now stay with me here. This is, I want to get us to kind of like um, think mystically here about this, if if you can. These witnesses uh, of Jesus are witnessing what also resides in us. These witnesses are witnessing what dwells within These religious people, though, don't see it. Hence, verse 37. And the Father who sent me, he has testified about me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. Also, you do not have his word abiding in you. It's not remaining in them. They're not listening to it, although I think it's there. Because you do not believe him whom he sent. Okay, where do we look to find out the testimony of God for us? And this, this can be hard for us to think of it this way, but we look within. You look right here. 
to find out the testimony of God because that is where God dwells. Are, are we listening, though, to that voice? Do we hear it? Are we paying attention? Um, we experience the presence of God, and I'll talk more about this probably next Sunday, when we are just still and shutting out all the distractions. Man, we are the most distracted people in all of human history. <laughs> and we have to shut that out and be still to know God. But where is God? God is within. And this is the practice of contemplation, um, which, which is really just whatever, whatever, you need, whatever you do and need to do in order to be still and, and, and find that deeper place, as James Finley puts it. That's contemplation. You begin with faith, and contemplation then is just the experiential knowing of what dwells within. James Finley, I'm going to talk about him probably more and more as I'm getting to know him myself. He, he's at the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is Richard Rohr's uh, blessed place. Um, I don't know what it is, but uh, I want to go there. Um, but he's like a teacher. He's a spiritual director. He, is, uh, he was once a monk. He actually um, uh, was, was a, a, a pupil of Thomas Merton, who was his novice master at Gethsemane uh, in, in Kentucky. And James Finley is, is sort of carrying on that legacy of the, the Christian mystical tradition. Uh, and, um, and so he's very helpful in kind of understanding how we listen to the voice of God within. And, and Scripture is actually just witnessing what is inside us, actually. And this is how he puts it. He, and again, contemplation, another way of thinking of that is just experiential knowing. It's when things move from just our head down here to our hearts, to our bodies. He says, um, the way we do this is we listen to God and we listen to self. Grounding yourself in God, who is perpetually grounded in me. That's the work of contemplation. Okay, all right. Imagine this. This is, this is from James Finley. This is his illustration. Imagine somebody comes up to you and says, good news. Um, you just inherited a glorious mansion to live in. It's yours. This glorious mansion is yours to live in, and you're told where it is, um, where the land is, lots of sprawling land around it, and, and you get there, and you realize, oh, there's, oh, there's one problem. I don't have the keys to get in the mansion, and so instead, you um, make this tent behind the garage, and you live in this tent <laughs> And you just long to be in the mansion. You live in this tent behind the garage, and then you invite your friends and family over, and you have a, a cookout. And and after your, you know, the, the cookout, you you begin to you just peer in the windows, and you like you know, kind of like Morris, you're salivating. You're like, oh wow, look look at the great room there, and the library here, and the dining hall over here. It's it's, it's beautiful. It's majestic. If I could only get inside, it. if I only had the keys to get inside, right? Okay. What if you're actually, the truth is, the reality is you're actually in that mansion right now. You're in the mansion, except you have this sickness, this, this mental delusion that tells you that you're not worthy of it. 
And also that tells you, well, the, the, you actually live in a tent <laughs> um, behind the garage. But the reality is you're in the mansion right now. Christ has come to reveal this about us. Um, Paul will quote, actually quoting a pagan uh, saying and saying, this is true. We live and move and have our being, where? In God. So in that sense, God isn't out there. God is in here. Folks, we're already in the mansion. Do we see it? We've got to take time to be still to experience it. What is reality? And that's the work of contemplation. And I want to try to bring us into that more and more um, as we share life together at House of Mercy. But this is your main purpose in life. If you wanted to know tonight, what is your calling in life? I got it for you. I got it. Your main purpose in life is to experience the salvation that is yours in Christ Jesus by sharing the intimacy and oneness with God. That's it. That's your calling in life, to experience this salvation by sharing in the intimacy and oneness of God, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We, we, um, we get so concerned and worried about things. That honestly, God's just not, he's not worried about and children get this. Children, children know, and this is why I think Jesus says, one reason he says, unless you, have, unless you become a child again, you, you won't get the kingdom. Children understand that as long as I have the presence of my person, <laughs> I can go anywhere. I'm fine. I don't need to do anything else. I, I lack nothing. I got mommy, daddy, whoever. My guardian, my love, my love, that person, my person, that Morris thinks the same way. And Morris shows me God every day. I mean that. And, and here we are. We're so, we're so concerned about all these other things. And, and I, know, I know some of you are thinking because you're, you're um, successful, uh, some of us Americans and this and that. And we're thinking about all the things we got to do this week. And that's fine. Those, those can be good things. But if we're centering our life around those things, that's, that's first half of life living. That's... That's um, what we're, we're missing. We're missing the whole point. Um, God's just not as concerned about those things. Our calling in life, more than those things, is to find our oneness in God. And that actually gives uh, merit and meaning to those things that we're doing. But we no longer have to do these things in order to define ourselves uh, as worthy, you see? That's it. That's your, that's your calling in life, to experience the salvation of God by sharing the intimacy and oneness of God. And it's right here. The kingdom is at hand, friends. It's right here. Uh, James Finley puts it this way. We're called through Christ to share in Christ's own union with the Father. Our destiny and calling is to participate in this and share in this. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, again, tells us where we live. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And he doesn't mean like spatially. These are metaphors for don't center your life and your being, your grounding around these cracked vessels. They're cracked. Ground yourself on the things of God who is um, without foundations, boundaryless, who is love. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so before you think I've like totally lost it, <laughs> and I've become a complete uh, crazy person, I, I'm, I'm quoting to you Colossians 1 3, which I quote to you all a lot. For you have died. <laughs> this is who you are. You, you died. Your true self lives. And your life is hidden in the mansion, <laughs> in Christ, with God. And Jesus even says, I'm, I'm away preparing. He uses that metaphor, a mansion. And, and it has many, many rooms. There's tons of room, plenty of room for everybody. That's what Jesus is doing now. Listen to John 17, 3 through 5. Uh, we'll get to this, Lord willing. I can't wait to get to John 17. We, we learn about all this oneness with God. That's what it's all about, about our calling. This is what Jesus says. And this is life eternal, that they, that is us, that we might know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. James Finley says, our faith is this obscure certainty that this is already true. Our faith is this obscure certainty in our heart, the measure which is love. Our faith now, because there, this is a reality. Jesus said past tense, it's done. It's a reality. We have to have eyes to see it, though, for now. A day is coming when faith will become sight. That's not yet. We have to have eyes to see, ears to hear. This is the whole work of meditation, of contemplation. It's meant to give us that. Um, our faith is following, though, that this obscure hope that I, I, you feel deep within. Don't you long for all this to be true? Don't you long for it to be true? Follow that. Follow that hope. That is faith. Follow that. It's in here, and friends, that is the very presence of God. That feeling that you feel, I believe, is the very presence of God within you. Finley says it's the infinite presence of God is presencing itself in and as the presence of myself and others and all things, and it's possible to experience that. Do you know when you experience that? Whenever you feel that connection with someone else that is like out of this world. Time stands still. This person sees you, knows you, and loves you. That is God. Um, it doesn't have to be a person. It can be a thing. It can be an animal. It can be a flower blossoming. Um, it can be the, the, this, this fall is spectacular in Asheville, and I encourage you to really get out in nature and witness it. You're actually in the very presence of God in those spaces. So, Jesus, what is good? As it relates to this passage, we're asking this each Sunday. What's the gospel? What's good news? Here's the good news. You live in God, and God lives in you. Look there. Focus there. John the Baptist, the works of Christ, the Father himself— and we'll see next week, the scriptures are pointing there. Amen. Let's pray.
Help us to hear that voice within. Help us to experience, particularly as James Finley said, the measure of which is love, the very present, your very presence is, is love. Help us to feel it, experience it, and follow it. Today, just today, let's just focus on today. And then help us to wake up tomorrow and help us again to feel your presence, to experience you, and to ground ourselves in your love more than everything else. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.